I want to put a challenge to you just coming out of the bulletin. If you are not connected in with one of the uh, with one of the Adult Bible Fellowship classes next Sunday morning to come to hear our speaker on biblical creationism. I had the privilege years ago of studying under Dr. John Whitcomb uh, from Grace Theological Seminary, who with Henry Morris from the Institute for Creation Research put together that work, the Genesis Flood, that uh, kind of turned and revived the biblical creationism movement. And it is so crucial in this day when even among believers, some are coming along and saying, does it matter whether Genesis 1 through 11 is literal or not? Or is it just fable? Uh, As Dr. Whitcomb said over and over and over again, anyone who denies the historicity of Genesis chapter 1 through 11 will in time walk away from the essential truths of Scripture because if Genesis 1 through 11, the account of creation, the fall, the need of our redemption is ignored, every other biblical truth will collapse in time. And Dr. Whitcomb has had the chance over the many years that God's given him to watch many different groups fall when they walked away from Genesis 1 through 11. So if you are not already connected with an adult Bible fellowship next Sunday, I'd really encourage you to come and and hear our speaker on this because these are absolutely essential truths for us today. Well, this, this morning, I'd like to take you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Last week, we had a chance to take a look at what Paul called a model church to the churches throughout the region of Macedonia and Achaia, and a model church for you and I to look at here today as we take a look at where we're at. We're in the process of calling a pastor. Wayne Mundell is going to be candidating with us here, and uh, there's some really neat truths in this passage for us to be considering about what type of church that God wants us to be and what type of a a pastor that God wants us to call to be our lead pastor and shepherd, the guy who, who casts our vision from God as to where we're to go in the days ahead, how we're to move forward to the next step of our growth before God. We found last week that that church at Thessalonica, there were four key characteristics about it that that really stood out in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. They were an involved church. This church had ownership of the ministry of the entire church. And we talked about the fact that Paul may have been there for as short a time as one month. It may have been up to four to six months maximum that he was with that Thessalonian church. And yet in that short period of time that Paul was there, that church rose up to be a vitally alive and functioning local church. Uh, They were a vibrant church. They were a church that proclaimed the gospel uh, to an area that was as big as the state of Iowa in a very short time. That's awesome. It really is. They were a mimicking church. They studied that pastoral team that God had sent to them in Paul, Savanus, and Timothy to learn how they could walk in a closer walk with God a more intimate walk. They mimicked those guys. As those guys imitated Jesus Christ, even so, those Thessalonian believers were learning firsthand from the guys that God had put them in their midst how they could walk in an ever deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. As we just alluded to, they were a proclaiming church. The church itself wasn't a matter of having a professional staff that proclaimed the gospel to the community. 
Everybody in the pew was involved in that ministry of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though it meant suffering. And then finally, they were a transformed church. They were a church that had turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. What was important to the culture that that was independent of God, they walked away from. And they said, no, God, we are going to walk with you. We are going to walk in dependence upon you. And uh, and they, they modeled what it was to walk the transformed Christian life. Well, as they grew under that team of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, we're in the process of narrowing down now our selection of who we believe that God may be calling uh, as our lead pastor. Wayne Mundell, I hope you're going to be here tonight for the family forum at 6.30 to get the chance to get to know Wayne and Linda and the boys in a deeper way uh, and to hear their, their vision of ministry for where God's taking us next. Please, whatever you do, if you can make that at all, if it's at all possible for you to make that time, please come and hear Wayne's heart. I've had the chance to visit with him a number of times. I love his heart. I love what God has, has led him into. And, and um, I'm going to say up front, the characteristics that we're taking a look at here today are Wayne right down the line. So um, as, you, as we take a look at things here today in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 19, we're going to take a look at the characteristics of a distinctive pastor. A pastor that stands out in God's sight. And then we're going to take a look at the characteristics of a distinctive church. How does that church respond to the pastor whom God has put in their midst to take them forward? And we have been blessed with a distinctive pastor in Jake, in Travis with our youth. Uh, we've been blessed with a great elder board and deacon board. We've been blessed with some tremendous role models for us to grow in and follow. And I hope you take advantage of studying their lives, how they walk with Christ and mimic Christ. And now we want to take a look at, at some very real specifics as to how they became a distinctive church under a distinctive pastor. Well, let's read verse, chapter 2 here. I'm going to lead you as we read this. Let's just take a moment before we, we read the passage to ask God to just open our eyes and our hearts, shall we? Our Father, we are coming to a really awesome section of Scripture that just meets us right where we're at as a church family here today. Father, I want to thank you for leading both our search committee and our elders and deacons in presenting Wayne to us as, our, as a candidate for our next lead pastor. I want to thank you for the awesome work of grace that you have done in Wayne and Linda's hearts, that, uh, that they reflect exactly what we're talking about here today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the very things that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy modeled among those believers at Thessalonica. Father, there's an awesome challenge here for us today in terms of how do we respond to your word And we just want to pray as we enter your word here today that you will just open the eyes of our heart to be able to perceive and understand what you are challenging us to today and that we not come away the same as what we were when we entered this sanctuary today. We just thank you for the awesome power of your word, Father. You are transforming our hearts even as you did that of these believers at Thessalonica. So create in us, Father, uh, an attentive heart that desires to hear and to heed your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 2, 
Paul says, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel amid much persecution. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from, or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Look at this next verse. This is so awesome. But we proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you that we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Why? So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for that it really is the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus, that are in Judea, for you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once. Yes, Satan hindered us. Who is, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Some powerful, powerful words. Verses 1 through 10. Let's take a look at the characteristics of a distinctive pastor. Verses 1 and 2. He is willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, Silvanus, Timothy constantly faced opposition wherever they went. It was not easy to proclaim the gospel of Christ in that first century world. In our culture that is so rapidly changing and running away from God, it's getting harder and harder and harder for you and I to be able to proclaim the gospel of Christ in our culture. As we talked last week, we're expected to privatize our faith. Anything but that, and that's nonsense. 
We are called to proclaim our faith in Christ. We are called to challenge people to come to Jesus Christ. But we're finding out in our day it's going to come at a price. It is. And there is more and more call when you and I take stands on the word of God uh, that people want to take away our jobs, They just like happened in the first century world. Ron Brown is catching it again uh, for people calling for his job. Some of them would like his head too, I think, at times. When he stands faithfully for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's going to come. It's a part of it. The opposition is there. But there's a very important point for you and I to realize. Our pastor is going to be point man for the opposition. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy were just that. They were the point men. Because they were the leaders, they were going to be the object of first attack. Please understand that that's exactly where our pastors are at. They are going to be the objects first and foremost of attack because they're the leaders in leading us to the word of God to stand on it. They are worthy of our prayers, folks. And I hope you're praying for Jake, for Travis, for our elders, for our deacons, for Russ working with the children's ministry, for Clara with the seniors' ministry. They're in the positions where they are point men and women for attack. And they need to be prayed for regularly, powerfully, because of that. I love verses 3 and 4. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men but God who examines our hearts. Our pastor, a distinctive pastor, is first and foremost a God-pleaser, not a man-pleaser. He is first and foremost a God-pleaser. He has the responsibility to challenge us out of our comfort zones. As a church, we would tend, and, and I'm going to say this as a coach of distance runners, you've got to push the kids along. They will settle into what they think is good enough. But if they want to excel as a coach, your challenge is to take them way out of their comfort zone. And John is a great example of that in terms of he goes out there and actually runs with the the kids on our Scottsbluff team. He and Aaron Carrizales, Coach Barker and I, we're, we're retired from the running part of it. But John and Aaron are out there actually pacing those kids. And our kids have really, it's been interesting watching John and Aaron's influence because, because they know how to pace at a certain pace for, it, for each type of workout. Our kids are learning. It takes normally three years to learn how to pace yourself with cross country. These kids are learning in two years because they have learned from guys who know how to pace. And so they, they are a year ahead of where they would normally be at. Because these guys are pushing them harder than they're out of their comfort zones when they work out with John and Aaron on that. And John, I, I so appreciate you two guys. Thanks for making this team so much better, quicker, because of the fact that you guys are out there doing that pace setting. And that's what our pastor is. He's a pace setter. He's going to teach us how to be able to run that race faster, better than what we could otherwise on that. Why? Because what we would settle for before God, that's not what God expects. He's going to take us up to that next level. Because he's been approved by God. He's been examined by God. 
we examine him, our deacons and elders examine that pastor to be sure this is what he is. He's approved by God. He speaks a message that comes from God because he is being faithful and true to the word of God. We're going to look at that in a little bit more detail in a few moments. But he's a God-pleaser first and foremost rather than man-pleaser. Do not be afraid of the fact that he's going to challenge you to step out of comfort zone. That's his job from God. That is his job. That's his calling from God. Because God wants us to step out of our comfort zone and step up the pace. He wants us to step up into things that we don't imagine that we could ever do, but we can with God's help. Verses 5 and 6 Paul brings out the fact, and we're going to cover some of these in a little quicker because we've got some very important things to cover. He is a humble man seeking God's glory rather than his own. Paul never sought the glory of man. His first and greatest ambition, and I love the fact that he loves the title doulos, slave of Jesus Christ. His interest was to represent the interest of his master, his Lord, Jesus Christ, rather than his own. That's what Paul was. That's what Silvanus was. That's what Timothy was. That's what Jake is. That's what Wayne is. Men of God who are putting the interests of God above their own interests being willing to sacrifice for that because the glory of Jesus Christ is paramount in their hearts. That's the kind of pastor that makes a distinctive pastor. Verses 7 and 8, he uses the term of a mother, and later on he'll use the term of a father, a parent, influencing the lives of our children. We prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. He wasn't out there just beating them over the head with this stuff. But just like a mother tenderly cares for her children, just like a father would encourage and exhort and implore later on his own children, this is how Paul was toward those Thessalonian believers. This is the heart of a distinctive pastor. He doesn't come along and just lord it over. I sat under pastors who have done that. They just beat their people up all the time. But the heart of a distinctive pastor is the heart of one who is there as a tender, compassionate mother, as a father who is exhorting, imploring, building up, disciplining his children for the sake of their growth in righteousness. Ivan French, one of my old teachers back in seminary, said, Mark of a good pastor, he's got the tender, compassionate heart of a woman and the tough hide of a rhinoceros. That describes it well. (laughs) It really does. But that tender, compassionate heart of a mother is very, very important. A mother who is willing to sacrifice her own welfare for the sake of her children. Our pastor, if he's going to be a distinctive pastor, is willing to sacrifice his own welfare for the sake of his congregation. But I want to tell you one thing that we have responsibility-wise as a congregation. In my work at Health and Human Services and in my years of rescue mission ministry and pastoring ministry, I saw kids who exploited their parents. 
we tell those children, shame on you. Rise up, grow in responsibility. You know something? The same is true of congregations. There are congregations that exploit the willingness of their pastor to sacrifice himself. And if we ever become that kind of congregation, if we ever become that that kind of a church member, shame on us. Shame on us. We are to share in our pastor's sacrifice. We are to be there for our pastor. We are to lift our pastor up in the tremendous sacrifices that he will make and does make for us. May we not be like those who exploit. He, verse, chapter 2, verse 9, he's unwilling to be a burden to others. And yet on the flip side, Paul will frequently challenge the churches to appreciate and care for their pastors. Look with me at chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. This is so important in terms of our role and our ministry to our pastor. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. I love the next part, live in peace with one another. That's going to be a very important part of it. <laughs> but you, that you esteem them highly, that you appreciate them, that they know that in the midst of their hard work and ministry, even when they've got to push us along, that we love them in the Lord deeply, that we treasure them in Christ. May we be faithful in that. Finally, verse 10, he strives to walk blamelessly toward his congregation. I love verse 10 here. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Can I add a caveat on that? Even at times when it was difficult. Church ministry is messy at times. And as we grow in the Lord, there's some messes in our lives that God's out to clean up. And a pastor is instrumental in in being an instrument of God in our lives to help clean up our lives and help us to to walk righteously before God. And yet here's Paul saying, we we were blameless toward you. We loved you. We agape loved you even at times when you struggled. And Paul later on will challenge in chapter 4 some areas of growth. As outstanding and as distinctive as this Thessalonian church was, there were still some areas that they needed to grow in. There was some immorality in their midst that needed to be challenged, and Paul challenges it in chapter 4. Church work is messy. A young church, young believers, are growing out of enslavement to sin. Even in our latter years of life, there are dangers for us as believers that we can become entangled in. And yet here is Paul saying, we loved you. We were blameless toward you. Our lives and hearts were poured into you totally as unto the Lord. That our pastor, if he's going to be a distinctive pastor, will walk blamelessly toward his congregation, even when some in the church can be difficult at times. And I challenge you, don't be one of those difficult believers, okay? Don't be. You may disagree with your pastor at times, but talk with your pastor as to why, and let's sit down and take a look into the word of God to see what God says. And if he's right, we need to respond as unto God. 
We'll see that here as we take a look at the uh, uh, pastor's God-given goal, verses 11 and 12. This is really crucial for us to look at. And it's the goal of a heart of a spiritual father. Let's look at verse 12. Paul talks about exhorting, encouraging, imploring each of us as a father would his own children toward this goal. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This again, is a pastor's job description. This is a pastor's calling from God. This is what he is to do if he is to be a God-approved pastor and not a man-approved pastor. That his challenge to you and I is to rise up to the standard of walking worthy of God and walking worthy of of the incredible calling that he has given to us in Christ Jesus. This word worthy is interesting in the original Greek language. It's the idea of walking in a manner worthy of the character and nature of God. And here's the part that really gets interesting. Equal in value to God. Equal in value to the calling that he has given to us in Christ Jesus. It's not a matter of us dummying down the standard. We don't get to do that. But we are to walk worthy of who God is and worthy of the incredible calling that he has given to us in Christ Jesus. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his own dear son. And we are to keep that before us every day. So that when we are tempted to dummy down the standard and compartmentalize and, and this part belongs to God and this part belongs to me. No, it all belongs to God. I belong to God. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. That's my calling because of who God is and the incredible calling that he has given to us in Christ Jesus. Are we walking worthy of that calling? Are we growing toward that calling? And remember from what we talked about last week and what we alluded to from chapter 4, it is a messy process at times. Don't be afraid of that. But God is interested in our progress. God is interested in us going forward, ever climbing higher toward him, one rung of the ladder at a time. Don't be afraid of the fact that there's still some sin struggle areas, but... Let's be moving forward, and that's the mark of a distinctive pastor. He's calling us toward moving upward. Every Sunday we gather together, every time you and I meet with him, his goal is to help us move toward that worthy walk in Christ. Now, our pastor has some tools, verse 11, exhortation. That's the responsibility from God to challenge us. Challenge us. To not stay where we're at, but to move forward. Encouragement. This is the responsibility from God to comfort, to encourage, to soothe, to comfort and console. He's a cheerleader to us, coming alongside us and and being the one who's cheering us along. I have a reputation during track season. I can't stay in one spot. I'm back and forth to both sides of the track, and so is John. (laughs) We're all over the place. When when a race is getting close, man, we are running back and forth and people are laughing at us. But let me tell you something, what it means to those kids and to those parents. 
to know that when they're running that race and it's hard and they're hurting and it the temptation is there to quit, um, it helps when that voice is there right beside you saying, keep going, the race is almost done. You finished that race strong. We need that. If we're track runners or cross-country runners, we need it as a church family. And that's the calling of our pastor. He implores us in the sense of solemnly declaring and affirming the crucial importance of this worthy walk in God. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. And again, he is not here to keep us comfortable, but he's here to equip us to conform to the image of Christ. Well, that's the mark of a distinctive pastor. Before we go today, we need to take a look in closing at the mark of a distinctive church. And I'd like you to look with me at verse 13. This part isn't in your notes here, but I'd like you to to think about jotting a few things down on that. Here is what made the church at Thessalonica distinctive. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it is, the, really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you. <coughs> Excuse me. When they heard the word of Christ proclaimed, they received it. The original Greek word on this, they received it as instruction directed toward them that involved admission and acknowledgement that this instruction was correct, true, and appropriate for what their needs really were, not simply what they were comfortable in hearing. It involved acknowledging this is something that's true about me and something that I need to hear and address in my life. Secondly, they received it. They welcomed it with approval because they understood who it ultimately came from. I love this part of it, from this Greek word. It carries the idea that they granted it access to their hearts, to the innermost part of their being. They did not shut it down, even when it got uncomfortable, even when it challenged them to step out of their comfort zone. They received it. They understood that the faithful proclamation of God's word from a man approved by God was to be received for what it genuinely is, a communication from God himself that we are to hear and that we are to honor. And finally, because of their receiving of God's work and their word and their acceptance of God's word, God's word had free reign to do what he designed it to do, to perform its good work in them. It transformed them. It changed their lives. The Greek word is the idea that it energized them to be able to do what they could not do in and of themselves. Because there was an external source of power that came from God himself. They were able to live this Christian life energized by God. But it involves accepting, receiving, and giving God's word access to our innermost being, not shutting it out. There's some really crucial observations for us if we are to be a distinctive church like that Thessalonian church. First of all, a distinctive church's people understands that when God's word is faithfully proclaimed by a pastor 
approved by God. It is an encounter with God himself. We have encountered God when God's word is proclaimed in our midst. That's something very, very important. When we encounter God through his word, God expects us to lead the encounter a changed people. God expects us to lead the encounter a changed people. I'd like to share a few thoughts with you before we go on from somebody who has had a really powerful impact in my life. You've heard Jake and Dan frequently quote Warren Wiersbe. Sarah and I had the privilege when we were interning and serving at Lincoln Berean Church to get to know Warren and Betty Wiersbe. And let me tell you, you talk about a couple who deliberately lived this in their lives. That was Warren and Betty right down the line. Warren gave one of the most incredible workshops I have ever heard, and it was at an interesting time in his life because his ministry was changing because he was a very, he's a very brittle diabetic. And his ministry was changing because, he, because of his diabetes. He couldn't go out and preach as much. He had been out on the road constantly before. But with the changes in his life health-wise, he couldn't be out there like he had been previously. And so guess what he was getting to do? He was getting to sit in the pew a whole lot more under the ministry of Kurt Lehman, his senior pastor at that point in time. And Warren did one of the most incredible workshops I've ever heard. His challenge was how to get the most out of your pastor's preaching. Every time you and I come under the ministry of the word of God, to ask myself the question, how is my life to change today? in light of my encounter with God. I've heard God's word today. I am to come away with something that is to change and transform my life. This also became the answer to Warren in the struggle that he had in the worship wars in terms of the preferences and different styles of Christian music that were really taking shape at that time. Warren said, as that song reflects the word of God, I am to ask myself the question, how is my life to change in light of the song that I have just heard? I really appreciate, Chris, the tremendous effort that you and and our different worship leaders who pick out songs, the, the tremendous time that you have in seeking the heart of God in terms of what songs are to minister to our church family this week. And songs that reflect a message of the word of God accurately on that. You do a great job. You really do on that. And, you know, one of the other things that I really appreciate about something that Chris has done is sharing with us the testimonies behind the song's writing. Just as every one of us has favorite songs that reach in and touch our hearts That song is a testimony of how God from his word has touched someone's heart. And just as we are to hear the message of our pastor through the word of God, you and I are to hear the message of the word of God through that song as well. What Chris and our worship teams are doing is a very important part of our ministry. And I really encourage you, hear the message of that song and the message of the group of songs that are being presented to us today Because guess what? God expects our lives to be transformed by that. And it was Warren's way of being able to overcome. He grew up under the days of the hymns. And those were the ones that 
originally ministered to his heart, but he began to say, you know something? I'm watching the word of God in different styles of music reach a different group of people. And the music is different than my preference. The, the songs are different from the hymns I grew up with. But in as much as this song reflects the word of God, I am to hear that song and be changed by it. Young people in our congregation, I want to give you a challenge as well. Please do not denigrate the hymns. Please do not denigrate the hymns because they were some of the songs that have reached in and touched some of our hearts. And I love the fact that we do a mix of both in our church family. That's awesome. That is awesome because we are a mixed congregation of older and younger. And I'm in that older group now. But please understand, you'll see my hands going up in worship during the hymns as well as the new songs. It's kind of interesting watching. Our hands go up oftentimes during the, during the praise songs, but my heart gets touched by some of those great old hymns of the faith. But I also need to be touched by the younger and newer songs as well. And if you have a struggle with the song, El Striley, a good friend of mine, put it so well. El was on the board at Maranatha Bible Camp, and he said, you know something? It may not immediately reach my heart, but the thing that I am watching is these newer songs are reaching a younger generation, and I am going to celebrate that. And El became a supporter of mixing the songs up in our church family over at Scotts Bluff Berean. Don't let the worship wars hit our church family. Don't be a part of that. Because God's word is being communicated in that song. And again, we have a great worship leader who is careful to be sure that the songs that we are singing are reflecting the word of God. And I want to challenge you, get behind Chris, celebrate with him, encourage him. Because Chris, thank you for seeking the heart of God in the song selection each Sunday on that. Thank you for being one who is following the leading of God in that. And support him in that as he seeks the heart of God. As we think about how we encounter the word of God here, we must always remember that our pastor is an instrument in the hand of God to communicate his word and God's will to us. We are not to follow personalities instead of God. And if there is any one thing that I have watched in this valley over the years that I have served here since we moved here in 2000, has been watching the destruction from within by our churches who want to follow personalities rather than God. It's ravaged our churches in this valley. It has been incredibly destructive. When we have a man in front of us who is approved by God and is proclaiming the word of God to us, we are to hear him. That is God's calling to us. He is not always going to be David Jeremiah. I don't see in this passage that we're calling David Jeremiah to our church. Chuck Swindoll was the popular one for a long time. Everybody wanted Chuck Swindoll. No, God is giving us the unique pastor who is our pastor for our time. Back to Warren Wearsby on, on an illustration. 
One night I was leading a prayer meeting at Lincoln Berean that Warren and Betty were a part of. And at that time I was serving with People City Mission in Lincoln, working with the homeless and low-income families. And Warren came in that night, he and Betty, and, and they just said, you know something, Steve? We want you. I had always loved and appreciated Warren, and I wanted to be a preacher who could preach like Warren. I'm not Warren. I'm not Warren. It, it, would, it, it frustrated me at times. But Warren said to me that night, Betty and I want you to know how much we appreciate you and Steve Janovec, our executive director at the mission. He said, you're doing a kind of ministry that we could never do. God hasn't equipped us to do that kind of ministry. And yet, day in and day out, you deal with the frustrations and the difficulties that come with the rescue mission ministry. We want you to know how much we appreciate you. We want you to know how we are just watching and rejoicing at the, at the fruits of your ministry that God is bringing forth. And we are praying for you. And in that prayer meeting, Warren and Betty prayed all of the prayer requests from our mission newsletter without that mission newsletter in front of them. They had prayed for us so much that those prayer requests were ingrained in their memories. They were really praying. They were really praying for us. My calling was not to be Warren Wearsby. My calling was to be Steve Demerit, serving Christ's calling to People City Mission at that time. And God just did an awesome work because I was probably the most unlikely guy to ever serve in rescue mission work. But God took me through trials that equipped me to be able to do that for his glory. Our pastor is uniquely called by God to Monument Bible Church. And no, he will not be some of the popular preachers out there. He will be who God has called him to be. And we need to embrace him as such and recognize that here is who God has brought to us for our next stage of growth. Verse 14, the Thessalonians, they imitated the churches. They were a distinctive church because they not only responded to the word of God, but again, as we saw last week, they learned how to mimic godly examples and were willing to suffer persecution. Verses 14 through 16. They stood the opposition from their fellow countrymen just as the Jerusalem church did from the Jews. They were a distinctive church because they had a great heart for the word of God and a great heart for honoring God's word. What makes a distinctive church? What does it mean to its pastor? Verses 17 through 20, I I am so impressed by these verses and our time's going. I really encourage you to spend some time in them on this. Do you understand how much your pastor loves you? And if Wayne is called as our lead pastor, how much Wayne and Linda love our church family. They deeply love us. And their greatest joy and anticipation, I love what Paul shares here with the Thessalonians, verse 19. For who is our hope or joy or crown? 
What's our reward as pastors? It's not a medal. It's not the recognition of men. The thing that you can do to be the greatest joy to your pastor is honor Christ. And here is Paul saying to them, my greatest joy is at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to be there. You are going to be there. And at that time, we will be perfected never to sin anymore. But the fact of the matter is, God's grace is at work in you. And because you know him, because you are following him, because you are growing in him and you are serving in him, that's all I need. That's what brings the greatest joy to the heart of our pastors. John in 3 John 4, I love what he says there. I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in truth. You want to watch your pastor pumped. Follow Christ. Be faithful. Grow in him. Honor the word of God. And you're going to have one excited and motivated pastor in our midst. And guess what? We're going to be a church family that's going to become ever more distinctive for the glory of God. Wow. Some concluding questions that I just want to leave you with. When you look at this passage, you've got the tools to evaluate how, if you're a member of this church family, to vote on Wayne and Linda. Is Wayne a distinctive pastor? I'm going to tell you how I'm going to vote. (laughs) I see a distinctive pastor in Wayne. I see a distinctive pastor in Wayne. Do you worship personalities or do you encounter God when his word is preached by a distinctive pastor? Question number three, every time we encounter God's word, whether in the preached word, whether in our own personal study, or when we are listening to and singing a Christian song reflecting the word of God, how is my life to change today? Because I've encountered God. And then finally, God is about to put a new lead pastor in our midst who will be setting the direction and the vision of our church for the years to come. Will I let him move me toward becoming a man or a woman or a child who is moving toward a worthy walk in Jesus Christ? There's some really powerful questions there, and I urge you to be much in prayer in these next several weeks and in the days and months and years ahead. As a pastor, doing a ministry at Health and Human Services now, but serving you here, this is my heart for you. I want to see you walk worthy of Christ. Our new lead pastor wants to see you walk worthy of Christ. Let's rise up for the glory of Jesus Christ and do that. Father, we thank you for the challenges of a distinctive pastor and a distinctive church. Lord, we haven't talked about easy things here today. And if we're going to follow you in these things, it's going to mean changes and adjustments and growth. Father, my prayer is that we will be those who will rise up and be the followers of Jesus Christ who are worthy of this walk. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.